0: Welcome to the Martech Podcast.
1: I'm your host Benjamin Shapiro, and today we're going to talk about growing and monetizing a podcast. Joining us is Tom Hunt, who is the founder and CEO of Fame, which launches and grows some of the world's most profitable B2B podcasts. Fame's clients includes companies like Workday, IdeO, and Bevy. Yesterday, Tom and I talked about growing and monetizing a podcast, and today we're going to continue the conversation talking about leveraging freelancers to scale a bootstrapped business. All right, here's the second part of my conversation with Tom Hunt, the founder and CEO of FAME. Tom, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast.
2: Great to be here.
1: Excited to have you back on the show. You know, I feel like we're kindred spirits. We uh, have followed a very similar career path. You were running a marketing department. You started a podcast. It was very successful. You kind of went into this line of business. I was running a consulting practice, started the MarTech Podcast. It grew faster than I expected. And... Basically, the media portion of my business ate the consulting portion, and here we are today talking about how to grow podcasts. And I feel like one of the secret ingredients is not actually doing the work yourself. So we're both coming from bootstrap companies. We leverage a lot of freelancers, automation, technology. Talk to me a little bit about how you're scaling your bootstrap business using external resources.
2: I think maybe it's useful to we're maybe going on a tangent but just to communicate the difference between like a online marketplace and an agency flash consultancy. So if you go to Upwork, you are there Upwork and not like taking accountability for the results you get when you work with a freelancer. But they're going to find your freelancer, they're going to manage the payment. On the other hand, we have an agency which is like a brand. You don't really get to see behind the brand. And the brand worth guarantees the results, and that's why you pay more for consultant slash agency versus going finding your own freelancer on Upwork, right? What I think is an interesting opportunity for any consultant slash agency at the moment is to retain this face and retain your pricing, but then being able to work effectively with flexible, global, talented freelancers on the back end. So instead of having your team of like seven consultants that you employ full time. You can have a team of maybe, or a pool, let's say, of 15 freelancers behind the scenes that remain freelancers that deliver your service with your, like maybe a couple of full-time employees to handle the communication with the client. So I think the opportunity that we are taking advantage of is leveraging this more flexible model with global freelancers with this like thin service layer across the top of full-time employees.
1: It's a lot like a managed service and it allows smaller companies or even individual, let's call them solopreneurs, to be able to produce high volume of work. This is our model. I'd never shy away. We've got a team of, I think, 15 people now, somewhere around there, that do everything from communicating with our guests, scheduling our content, editing the content, publishing it, building our social media, helping us with lead gen. There's a whole sort of different profiles. We've had some engineers. We've got all sorts of different types of work that we've done with freelancers. But one of the problems that I feel like we've worked very hard to overcome internally was not only figuring out who to hire, how to train them, but also there's the workflow management, how to let someone know when they are responsible for a given task. Talk to me a little bit about how you manage freelancers. How are you able to keep everybody on track, going the same direction, working on the things that they're supposed to work on at the right time?
2: So we just have, essentially, the combination of Slack, Google Drive, and Trello, and it's all tied together with Zapier. And then we have other external tools that tie into this. But essentially, what this means is that when any like external thing happens, let's say a guest books on a client show, the guest will book through Calendly, and then that is going to talk via Zapier to Slack, Google Drive, and Trello to inform the six people that need to work on that episode, what they need to do, when they need to do it, where the assets are going to be when they've completed them. And this can all be done completely automatically, all due dates assigned, relevant labels assigned, relevant freelancers assigned. That can all happen automatically as soon as the guest books. And so all of that automation and process is like dealing with the freelance support. And then there's just the client communication layer over the top, like project management and account management. I totally agree. What is super important for this model to work is the task management with all these people that don't necessarily or like freelancers that don't necessarily want to jump on calls with you, but just want to simply turn up, have the five tasks that they have to do that day. And they can do without too much hassle and too much bother. And if you do that, you can find good freelancers that will bring your cost down to enable you to offer a better service.
1: We spent five years working on the Martech podcast. We launched the Voices of Search podcast four years ago. We launched our third podcast, the Revenue Generator podcast. And I'm not the host this time. Doug Bell, who's the CMO of Lean Data, is the host. And Lean Data is also the sponsor of that podcast. And the reason why I bring this up is that through all the automation and rules that we've created, we use Monday.com. And there's a little Dropbox, there's a little Google Drive. We all communicate on Slack when something breaks down. But primarily everything that we've done is build these workflows and automations and triggers in Monday that allows us to basically copy the infrastructure we have and reproduce it for new podcasts. So when you are creating podcasts for new clients or you're doing this at scale, Do you find that it's easy to replicate the same process? Are all podcasts following the same process? Are you able to scale the teams? Or are you constantly hiring new people to do new projects?
2: I think the answer to that question, like you as the agency can choose how productized the thing that you offer your customers are. Now, obviously, the more productized, the better it's going to scale. And so we typically just like to offer the same thing to all clients, so the, all of that process we just spoke about can be literally copied and pasted. Obviously, there are slight nuances. Maybe they want video snippets for TikTok and another client wants them for a different social platform. But the more productized, the better. The only caveat I would give is that being a bootstrap company, sometimes you may want to work with a client if they don't fit perfectly into your like productized methodology because you just want the revenue or you need the revenue. So the kind of long-term view is that you wouldn't do that. And you'd only bring people on that fit your perfect methodology. You keep refining the methodology and you scale up like that. And so we have largely managed to refuse people that don't fit within the thing that we offer. So we've been able to scale relatively quickly.
1: Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost effective. Request a demo at Mutinex.co. That's M U T I N E X.co. Now, when you're working with freelancers, I'm assuming they're distributed around the world. Talk to me about the relationships that you have. How are you finding the right talent, building relationships with them? How do you keep them on board? Because that training process can be very challenging and sometimes it's hard to find the right labor for the job.
2: I'll try and run through things really fast. So we constantly have applications open There's the form on our site, that anyone can come to and they can request an application. So we have this massive database basically. Then we have one operations person who's responsible for ensuring that we have enough freelancers to do enough of the work that we do have. So that's what bringing freelancers into the organization. If we desperately need someone and we can't force anyone from our database, we'll then go to the freelancer marketplaces and find people. We'll do a test task. Where we'll pay them the amount that we would pay them for this task. And we do that with like, after we have checked what they've done before, we offer them a test task. And then if that's good, then we'll bring them in for a trial. When they're in, this is a really interesting concept that I've discovered recently as a CEO. Obviously, the business's job is to keep the customers happy. But I feel as my job as a CEO is to keep my employees and now freelancers happy. So our FAME's mission is actually just to keep clients, team members, and freelancers happy. That's like literally the mission of our company. So then the question is if a freelancer is just there to like go and do their work, what incentivizes them to log in a little bit later because they have to fix something that the clients just requested? So how do you build that culture of responsibility when you have people that are not full-time employees? So I've been thinking about this a lot. And one of the most effective ways of doing this is that we give all team members and all freelancers a monthly bonus based on how happy the clients are. We measure client happiness by giving a score to every client after every meeting. So that's objective. And then also how well the team is working together. Right now, that's a bit subjective, but everybody gets a bonus based on that. And so that's one of the tools we use to try and ensure a responsibility or an accountability of the freelancers to the organization. I think
1: it's one of the things that people that haven't gone down the freelancer path might not understand is that you can build relationships and manage freelancers the same way that you would essentially with your employees. There are people that are going to be working with you remotely. You don't have the exact same relationship, but we've had the editor of the MarTech podcast, Panos, I love you. He's been working on this podcast for five years. I've never actually sat in a room with Panos. I don't even know if we've been on a video chat before. But we Slack regularly. I feel like I have a relationship with him. I definitely appreciate his work. He is a valued member of my team. Panos, let me shout it from the rooftop. I love you, man. So I think that that's one of the, you know, freelancers feel like faceless accounts from countries that you might not have heard of that are making minimal amount of work. So the assumption is they're probably not going to work very hard or do a very good job. And that is just fundamentally untrue, right? One of the biggest factors of building a business using freelancers, mostly when you're bootstrapping, is you get to take advantage of the economics of geography. So you mentioned that you have forms on your website where people can apply to be freelancers. It sounds like you've got a little bit of an inbound approach where freelancers are coming to you and then you're potentially going to marketplaces at time. What are some of the things that you look for in a freelancer to figure out if they are credible, hardworking, have the right skill set?
2: It's pretty low risk, right? So our process, because all the time we're spending, that ops person is spending interviewing freelancers. She's not, he or she is not spending like improving the process. So we're literally, all we do is we'll look at their previous work, step one. If a previous work and their rates work for what we're looking for, then we'll do a test task. If their communication and the quality of the thing they produce is good enough, they're brought into the system. And then from there, they'll just be assigned a small amount of work. And then we can throttle the work up and down based on their performance. We have another way to manage the incentive of the freelancers. The better they are at communicating, the better the assets, the better they are with their deadlines, the more work they're going to get. And that also also throttles down. Now, you have to build trust. You can't just take work away from a freelancer for no reason. There has to be rules around that so they feel in control. But we, in terms of hiring process, it's like very quick, very objective. And then they come into the organization and then we can throttle up and down based on like how well they're performing. So we don't spend that much time like assessing or bringing freelancers in because we have this pool that is quite flexible in terms of how much work they'll do.
1: Yeah, I think one of the big takeaways for me is the incentives for freelancers are different than employees. And part of it is understanding how much work they want, understanding when they can work, understand how they want to work. And if you spend time getting to know the freelancers, getting to understand what their goals, what their objectives are, what the lifestyle they want to be leading is, it can help you define the type of work you're handing them and set up an incentive structure that puts everybody on the same page. Tom, any last words about building a bootstrap business, leveraging freelancers? Any other tricks you have for the audience? I think
2: the most important thing, whether it's a CEO starting a business, working with freelancers, or whether you're a CMO within a business working with your team, and some of those are freelance, I think the most important like, mindset to develop is that the business's customers are not your only customers. Your job as the leader is to make their lives better. The more you do that, the lower your employee churn, the less time you have to spend on recruitment, the happier your team are, the better work they're going to do. And so that's like the final thing that I like probably want anyone listening to leave with. It's a big
1: world, but we are all more connected than we've ever been. You could find great talent and it doesn't necessarily have to be the person living next door. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Tom Hunt, the founder and CEO of Fame. If you'd like to get in touch with Tom, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is TomHuntIO, that's T-O-M-H-U-N-T-I-O. Or you can visit his company's website, it's fame.so, fam es Tom also has a hosting platform that Fame runs off of, which is bcast.fm. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can reach out on social media. Our handle is MartechPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy.